Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that we are able to just rest in your presence. The, the prophecies were true. God, that you are, you are the Prince of Peace. Lord, you are the Lord of Lords. God, that, that you will rise with healing in your wings. Lord Jesus, that this time of year, God, it holds a lot. God, it means so many different things for us. Lord Jesus, that your peace, it comes. Lord, regardless of what we may think, regardless of what we may feel. Jesus, I pray that, that today would be a time of recalibrating our hearts. Lord, to take a moment away from the chaos of this season, the hurt of this season. Lord, and rest in the truth that you are love's pure light. I pray that you would help us to name the things that are keeping us from seeing you as the focus of this season. Lord, in the quietness of our hearts, God, in your presence, can we name those things right now? Lord Jesus, I pray that today you would minister to the hearts of my church, myself included. God, for the hurdles that we experience to experiencing your peace and your joy. Lord, we love you so much. God, we thank you for this time together and we ask that, that you would have absolutely your way. God, that while many things can pull us in different directions, especially on December 23rd, Lord, that they would be rendered deaf, dumb, blind, mute, and completely inoperable in the name of Jesus, and our sole focus would be on you. We love you so much, and it's in your precious name we pray all these things. Amen. He tossed and turned in his bed, overwhelmed by the situation. The truth was that he loved Mary, but he didn't understand how this had happened. She was always so level-headed. He always trusted her, but this story she's telling about an angel and about pregnancy, the reality is, is that it would have been easier if she had said that there was another man, but she didn't. There were only two options, really, maybe three. And he could report Mary and if he did, she would be drug out to the city gate. She possibly would have died from the ridicule and the abuse. It was a warm night, but he shuddered at the thought. So then he thought of a second option. He could go quietly and divorce her in private. She could go quietly, but the punishment was just as severe. She'd be a social outcast in that culture, a single mom. To have, and he could go on free to have everything that he had always wanted. 
a wife, kids, a life, a future, the right way. Things he had always pictured for his life, but, and just put this mess behind him. Then there was a third option. It really wasn't an option. I mean, Joseph was a righteous man. He couldn't just marry her. He couldn't just go on as if nothing happened. No, he couldn't raise the kid as his own. Even if she was telling the truth, what would life look like after this? No, no, no. Like, that just couldn't happen. So Joseph prayed, and he prayed to God to give him a sign. Nothing big. No, no sign in the sky, no fire from heaven. He just needed a still, small voice like Elijah. And he prayed, and he waited, and nothing came. So he resolved. Door number two. I'll divorce her quietly. And he had peace about it. I know what I will do. I, I will call off the wedding quietly. And so he rehearsed the conversation in his head. He imagined the disappointment that he would have to face tomorrow when he said those words. It's not going to work. In Mary's expression, he imagined it in his head and it crushed his soul, but he told himself that this was his peace. He told himself that he had done, he was going to do what had to be done, and his life would finally click back into normal. As he imagined her face while he said those words, his eyes began to get heavy, and he fell asleep, finally at peace. But that night, his peace was dissolved. Was it a dream or was it a visit from an angel? He couldn't be sure, but the message was clear marry her anyway. Love Mary. When Joseph woke up, he was confused. Lord, you really think I can do this? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. I asked you for a sign and you waited until now? How crazy are you? Do you know how insane this sounds? Do you know what she has done? It's not like she sacrificed to another god. It's not slander or stealing. No, this is a baby. This isn't just a minor offense. This comes with a baby bump. Lord, you have got to be kidding me. Love her? Marry her? Do you even know what that word means? Now, truth is, there are thousands of years between us and Joseph, but I think that we find ourselves still asking the same questions. Uh, still asking, Lord, are you kidding me? And then, if, not, if that's not bad enough, there's some very obnoxious verses in the Bible about loving others no matter what about loving people that have hurt you. Lord, do you know how bad they hurt me? My best friend even says I shouldn't love them. You know, love thy neighbor. Have you met him? Guy drives me insane. You know, love those people that don't believe the same things as me? What do we even have in common? Which makes me wonder if love, if God even knows what that word means. The quote, Princess Bride, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means, right? <laughs> and no wonder we are confused as our culture. Love is like the most overused word in our language. I love that top. I love that meme. I love my dog. I love my cat. I love tacos. I love chocolate and Chinese food. I love donuts. And but also, I love my spouse. And also, I love my kids, and I love Jesus. And I, we say things like, I love Diet Coke. 
And some people manage to say, I love Pepsi, which is just proof that we don't know the meaning of the word, okay? <laughs> we say those things, I love, I love, and it's, it's insane, it's confusion. Uh, history proves it. Over the past 50 to 60 years, we have over 100 songs that have been number one hits with the word love in them. Over 100. That's more than one per year. And like, go here with me, 1962. Elvis admitted he can't help but fall in love. You know, then we have the Righteous Brothers who lost that loving feeling. You know, the Supremes wanted us to stop in the name of love, uh, but not the Beatles. They said, all you need is love. 1975, the Eagles promised to give you the best of their love. 1981, uh, Captain and Tennille said, love will keep us together. Ario Speedwagon promised, I'm going to keep on loving you. But then love got really confusing because on one hand you had Lionel Richie and Diana Ross saying that they had endless love, while on the other hand Tina Turner was wondering what love got to do with it. <laughs> you know, and then Foreigner just wanted to know what love is. On the whole, we are confused a lot by love. A lot. And so when we're confused about love, I'd say we need, or about anything, we need to go to the experts, right? And I think that we need to go to the experts about love. Some of the experts that I have drawn in this morning are four to eight-year-old children. So I have a couple quotes on love that they see. This one I love. Oh, gosh. <laughs> love is when a puppy licks your face, even when you've left him alone all day. Dog owners, you get it, right? You know, cat owners were like, love is when they don't barf on my bed one day, you know? Uh, <laughs> this one is great. It says, when my grandma got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so now grandpa does it for her. Oh my gosh, right? Uh, this one is just profound to me. When someone loves you, they say your name different. You know your name is safe in their mouth. And then we turn to Christmas. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas when you stop opening presents for a minute and just listen. See, I think they understand love better than we do. I think this is the theology of Christmas, that God sent his son when we were still sinners, when we were far away from, him, from us. He loved us. And he loved us. He said our name in a way that no one else could. And the Beatles were right. All you need is love. But what in the world is it? I think we are still confused on what it is. And for a lot of us, this season brings out the best in us. You know, we drop quarters in the bell ringer's bucket. You know, we buy presents for people just out of the goodness of our hearts, not because we're expecting things. Uh, we, we give things, we say things, we love other people. But, but other times, there's circumstances and situations that creep in, and they choke out the love of this season. Somehow, our priorities switch from loving one another to surviving one another. Lord, help me get through this day. Lord, help me get through this season. Lord, help me get through that situation in that living room or that phone call that I'm dreading. I want to welcome you to week four of There's Still Hope for Christmas. And this morning's promise is that there is still hope when you're not feeling the love.
There, there is still hope when you're not feeling the love. There's still hope for Christmas when you can resonate with Joseph the night before more than the morning after. So jump in with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And it says, At that time, the Roman Empire Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of the King David, he had to go to Bethlehem to Judea. So to put this in our terms, that would be like, Lindsay, you have to go back to Lake Preston, South Dakota <laughs> to register. And Lake Preston, South Dakota is, you know, if you blink, you'll miss it, okay? Um, and it would be really small, and it would be a dangerous, long journey. And oh, by the way, we're doing this on donkey, okay? All right, so it says, uh, and because Joseph was a descendant of the King David, he had to go to Bethlehem to Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from a village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to who he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. Notice the pronouns here. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Listen, what is love? This is love. That Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven and entered into a sinful world full of people that do not understand what love is. <laughs> and we are, we are moments away from the next two days of straight merriment, are we not? And, and I'd ask the question, what are we supposed to do with this holiday? You know, this holiday is really great, but also it highlights whatever is broken. It magnifies whatever is broken. Let me give you an example. If you have a strained relationship in your family, nothing quite points it out like Christmas. You know, if you have a mental illness, what better place to do that than in your grandparents' living room, you know? <laughs> you know, if you have lost a loved one, the best salt for that wound is togetherness without them. This holiday season, it has a knack for highlighting the ways that we're struggling. If you're struggling financially, man, we got a tree in the living room just to remind you of that. And it reminds us of how broken and the deficit that is in our lives. No wonder we don't feel the love and spread the love. This Christmas thing, it's, it dishes it out with absolutely no mercy. No wonder we don't feel it. So what would it take for us? What would it take for us to have this hope that we can love even when we don't feel it this Christmas season? That we can love each other even when we're not feeling it? This is like Cliff's Notes the night before the exam, people. Christmas is tomorrow, right? Like, we need to come up with some tangible ways that we're going to get through this. And I don't know what you're walking through right now, but the thing that we named during prayer time I bet it has something to do with that. How are we going to walk through the next 48 hours knowing that there's still burdens there? How are we going to love when we ain't feeling it? 1 John 3.16 This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's a beautiful verse. And the problem really isn't this verse. 
Because this verse implies that we understand what love is. Problem is what comes after this verse. Because it says when you understand what love is, you respond differently. So the first thing that I would say, the tangible way that we love when we don't feel it, is we move towards the mess. Say that with me. We move towards the mess. Look at this next verse, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Dallas Willard, he summed up this verse in a different way. He said, the first act of love is the paying attention to of someone. The first act of love is the paying attention to of someone. Now let's just be honest. This, this season, we are supposed to be joyful and happy and merry and excited, and sometimes it is easier just to pretend like everything is okay. Just to pretend like it's all right. To put the face on and press through. I, I think about this, um, and you know, forgive me if I'm the only person that's done this, but we've all been in those conversations with people, and they start talking, and we're having a good time, you know, having good conversation, and then suddenly the turn is made towards something that you know is painful, that's going to require vulnerability and for you to have to, like, care about it. And so we have, two, we have two options. We can either lean into that and listen, or we take the nearest exit ramp, right? And we say, oh, okay, well, Merry Christmas, and walk off. More often than not, I think we find ourselves doing that during this time because we need to save this holiday somehow. Oh, we need to make it pleasant and joyful. Instead of walking towards it, we take the nearest exit. We tend to do this around Christmas more than anything else. Because if I can just ignore it long enough, it'll go away. This, this quote got me this week, Earl Wilson. Snow and adolescence are the only problems that will disappear if you ignore them long enough. <laughs> okay? <laughs> like blizzards and puberty, that's it. Okay? <laughs> okay? Those are the only things that go away if we ignore them long enough. And Jesus, like the love of Jesus, it never avoided the mess. No, uh, he never turned the other direction. He never changed the conversation. No, he never got in trouble for what he didn't say. More often than not, he got in trouble for what he did say. <laughs> and if we want love like Christ at Christmas, that means we walk across the room. That means that even though there is a mess, we still walk across the room. We talk to that relative. You know, we talk to that coworker, we talk to that friend, we talk to that roommate, we talk to our spouse. And maybe you say, like, Lindsay, um, you don't, you have underestimated the size of my mess. <laughs> you know, you have hugely underestimated the size of this mess. And for me to walk towards it is terrifying. Lindsay, you say, love them, which them? because I am surrounded by this broken mess. Uh, Mother Teresa, she worked in Calcutta, and she was probably the person that had the best excuse for avoiding the mess. 
But listen to her heart. She said, if I look at the masses, I won't act. If I look at the one, I will. That's the second point today is that you have to see the one. You have to hone in on the one. Who is the one person that God has placed before you? Who is the one person that he is asking you to lay down your life for? Let me read that verse again. It says, this is how we know that what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Folks, you have one life to give up. And not often, I mean, every once in a while probably, but not often do you have to take a bullet for somebody, okay? Like, I don't know what world you live in, but my life isn't an action movie, so I'm not like dodging bullets for people every day. No. (laughs) But what we do have to sacrifice almost every day is other things, like our personal preferences, you know, and our attitudes, you know, and our, our idea of what this Christmas season should look like. Our idea of the perfect house and the perfect family and the perfect cookie. <clears throat> we have to sacrifice those things. And we lay them down day in and day out so that we can be close to our brothers and sisters. And, and Jesus talks about this. He says that when you are doing this to the one, you're actually doing it to the one, if you know what I mean. Matthew 25 For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king replied, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The one. I love you guys, but none of you guys are Jesus. You aren't going to fix the world. And if that is helpful, maybe you need to say that every morning. (laughs) (laughs) I am not Jesus, I am not going to fix the world. But I can help the one. And each one of us, if we thought pretty hard, or maybe not at all, we'd know the one. Listen, you cannot celebrate Christmas from the sidelines. You know, you can't come to church, light candles, remember Jesus is the reason for the season, eat cookies, win cookie wars, Um, do all of those things, and then go home, eat some food, open some presents, and call that celebrating Christmas. That's like going to somebody else's birthday party and making it all about yourself, okay? You know, that's like going to somebody else's birthday party and be like, oh, you got me all these presents, like, this is wonderful, Why isn't my name on the banner? (laughs) You know? We have to celebrate Jesus, not on the sidelines at Christmas, but Christmas has to be personal. We have to take Christmas personally. We have to make it personal in our lives. Jesus was born into poverty. He was born into least of these circumstances. Mary and Joseph... uh, It was the culture of the day that when you had a baby, 
you would take a lamb to the temple and you would sacrifice it out of gratitude for this new baby. Mary and Joseph, when they went to the temple, you know what they had? Not a lamb. They had two doves because they couldn't afford it. What's the irony there? There was no lamb for the Lamb of God. You know, we look at this, this scripture and it says that he was away in a manger. And we think, that's so beautiful. When you think manger, I want you to think cow pies, <laughs> you know, hay, animal troughs, and a woman that is in labor <laughs> thinking, Joseph, what in the world? <laughs> You did not use Priceline. What is happening? You know, <laughs> what is going on? Right? When you see manger, it is not a beautiful sight. Uh, the other thing that we look at is it says he was wrapped in snuggly strips of cloth. And I imagine this like baby that's like all warm and snuggly. No. Scholars believe that Mary and Joseph were so poor that those strips of cloth were likely their undergarments ripped up and put around Jesus undergarments. Let that sink in for a minute. See, uh, make no mistake, when God nominated with his birth, he nominated for the least of these to receive hope. He nominated the folks that drive us insane. He nominated the people that we, are, that we have ignored day in and day out. He submitted his sacrifice to see those who are far from God who can't run, rub two pennies together, who are undeserving and unqualified to stand on the fringes of society and receive salvation. That is why we have to take Christmas personally. That's why it has to resonate in the depths of our souls and why we have to react differently, whether we feel it or not. The reality is that there's no magic around this time of year. There's no magic in the fact that it's December 23rd today. But there is a Holy Spirit that is inside of you that God has empowered, that has given words and people on your hearts and in your mouths to say because of what happened in this barn that day. How are you going to make Christmas personal? In the next couple days, like you don't have a lot of time left, guys. Maybe it means that you're going to walk across the room. You're going to walk towards the mess. You're going to take tangible steps and say, I'm going to pick up that phone, I'm going to have this conversation, and I'm going to write that Christmas card. Maybe, just maybe, it means that you have decided that you are going to see the one before you. You're going to see the one person that the Lord has placed in your life. The one person that Jesus knows is going through so much right now. So I want you to, I want to invite you into a posture of prayer right now. And we, we say this a lot, this posture of prayer. Last week we, we said that we would invite you to take a new posture of prayer. Maybe this morning you take a new posture of prayer. Um, our our altars are open for this reason. Maybe you need to stand. Maybe you need to stand and raise your hands. Maybe you need to kneel at the seat where you are at. Would you take that posture with me?
Lord Jesus, this season, God, it has so much more than ribbons and presents. Lord, it magnifies and it puts a spotlight on on the deficits that we have in our lives. God, on the relationships that have been ruined. Lord, it highlights, God, our, our lack of children. Lord, it shows us in broad daylight some of the hardest mental illnesses that we have to face. God, we see the empty chairs, Lord, of the people that we've lost during this Christmas. Lord, we see the ways that that we haven't been faithful, that we haven't been obedient to you. Lord, but the beauty of Christmas is that you came anyway. Lord, that while we were still sinners, while we were still doubting, God, while our lives were still a mess, God, you said our names. God, you came in the most humblest of ways. Lord, I pray that that during this next 48 hours, God, that you would point out the person. God, who is our one? Lord Jesus, that you would help us to build a bridge and walk towards the mess. Lord, you are holy. Your name is the name above all other names. God, you are our King. You are our Savior and our Messiah. You sit with us in the harshest of times. Lord, you sit with us like you sat with Joseph and said, love, love them anyway. Trust me. God, I pray that as we close this morning in worship, Lord, that that we would be able to raise our hands, that we would be able to worship you freely. God, that we would lay down our lives, our preferences, our ideas of perfect. God, our ideas of comfort, Lord, and that, that we would worship you. Jesus, we ask that that you would be our focus. Lord, that while everything in all creation can distract us from it this Christmas, we ask that you would be our sole focus and our sole desire during Christmas. 